You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today, uh, we are starting a brand new teaching series, and we're calling it Prevailing prayer, prevailing prayer. And I actually got the, the, the name from, for this series from a book that my father-in-law let me borrow <laughs> because I, he hasn't been able to find any other copy of it, but it's a book that was written in the, the, the 1950s, early 1950s from a pastor. And he was just talking about his journey of understanding prayer and understanding the possibility of prayer and understanding the importance of prayer. And so it was cool to read his perspective, just this old school pastor, like, uh, you know, uh, they didn't have the technology that we have. They don't have the resources that we have, right? They didn't have the internet access that we have that you can, I mean, you can get online and read all kinds of commentaries, right? If you wanted a commentary, you got one of those big old books of commentaries. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the commentary books. If you go to Mardell or something like that, they're massive. Like you had to have your own library, basically, if you wanted to get in depth into God's word. And so to hear his perspective on prayer was so fascinating. But today we're going to talk about the possibility of prayer. And that's really the the first um, or the title for today, the possibility of prayer. And prayer is such, it's one of those things where if you've been in church, you know, you're supposed to, but maybe uh, you don't know how to. Maybe you run out of words, right? You pray for two minutes and you're like, all right, Lord, like, I think that's like, I covered everything. Like, I don't know. Or maybe you just, you say the same prayer every day with your kids and you pray over your meal and then you pray that you have a good day and then everything, everybody's safe. And you just pray these like kind of, you know, uh, predictable prayers, if you will, but you don't, you've never maybe experienced passion in prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we know we should do, but oftentimes we've, we don't know the why behind it because we think, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. So what's, why do I really need to pray, right? If God's sovereign, he's just going to do it. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But one of the things that reminded me of the importance of prayer is I heard uh, someone was interviewing Billy Graham uh, before he passed away at the end of his life. And they said, if you could do one thing different, what would you do? And he, he's led millions of people, right, to Jesus. He's, he's preached to millions of people uh, and, and, and done so much work for the kingdom of God. And one of the things that he said, he said, I would preach less and I would pray more. And that stuck with me. I just thought one of the greatest preachers, ministers of our time, he said, I would preach less and I would pray more. And that reminded me of just the importance of what, what prayer has to do with our daily walk. And so God's command is that his house, his church would be a place of bold, faith-filled prayer. In fact, when it wasn't that way, we see this is one of the times that Jesus was righteously angry and he came into the temple and what did he start doing? He started flipping tables, right? He created a whip and like got some people out of the church, right? Like we don't see that really happening in today's church, right? Um, that, that wouldn't be very popular, but this is what Jesus did when his house wasn't a house of prayer. And this is what we see in Matthew 21 verse 13. It says this, and Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He's, he's commanding that his church be a place where prayer is most important with his word. Prayer is something that's not casually done. It's not, well, if something serious happens, I'll go get some prayer. No, prayer is everything. It's the house of the Lord, but it should be a house of 
prayer is what we are called to be. See, what would happen in this situation whenever Jesus flipped the, the, the tables is there were merchants in the outer courts and they were not only robbing God's people because they were increasing prices of sacrificial animals. So people would come, they'd have to make a sacrifice. And so these people were taking advantage. They said, well, I'm going to bring in some animals and then I'm going to hike up the prices so that I make a lot of money and they're desperate to get an animal. So they're going to pay me. And so they're not only robbing God's people uh, because they increased the prices so much, but they were also creating distractions. So imagine this, it's the outer courts of the temple. And now you have all of these people, these vendors showing up to sell things and to bargain things and to have an auction for things. And what would happen is the Gentiles would show up and they could only pray in the outer courts. So they would show up to pray and spend time in the presence of God. And what would happen is they couldn't because the the people of God had turned the outer courts into a marketplace. They couldn't even hear themselves pray. And so this is the first thing that Jesus sees. He comes in, he sees, and he hears this loud commotion. Imagine going to a a craft show. Imagine going to a a farmer's market market and trying to spend some intimate time in the presence of God. It's going to be very distracting, right? Every time you walk past a booth, someone's going to be saying, hey, how you doing? Why don't you come in? Look around. Do you need this? Do you need that? Incredibly distracting. Those who sought the presence of God were being kept from his presence by the very people of the house of God. Those who sought the presence of God were being kept from his presence by the very people of the house of God. And I think many times this is what we do in the modern church. We're not selling animals in the lobby, right? But I think so many times we, we strive, not out of a, a, a bad heart, but we strive to do too much and we strive to perform better than we did last week. And well, it's the week after Easter, so it better be better than Easter. And the message better be better. And the lights better be cooler. And the worship better be more powerful. And we put all this pressure on ourselves. But in doing so, all we end up doing is creating more distractions that people can't, they can't get past to get into the presence of God. And so we've got to be careful. And we have to fight for it as a church to say, we're not going to be a place that creates distractions because we should or creates do things because it's cool. We do things because God is prompting us to as a church, as a church leadership. Those are the things we're going to do, but we're going to create a distraction-free place when people show up expecting to encounter God's presence. They can and they will because we've gotten out of the way and we've let God do what he's going to do. Amen? So we've got to be careful that we are creating a church, a house, where if Jesus showed up physically today, he would start flipping tables and flipping chairs, right? That's really the goal. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about in this series, the importance of prayer. We're going to talk about how to pray. It's interesting in Luke chapter 11, verse one, uh, it says this, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. This is the only time we see Jesus's disciples ask him to teach them something specific. Think about that for a second. At this point, they'd seen Jesus do a bunch of amazing things. They've seen him uh, walk on water, multiply food, raise the dead, answer tough questions, be able to stand his own in front of an angry mob that wants to kill him. He's done all these things. I don't know about you, but I would want to know, Jesus, teach me to walk on water, right? (laughs) Teach me to raise the dead, Teach me to uh, have enough poise that when I'm pressed with uh, questions from religious leaders that I can stand my own. Teach me. They didn't ask to be taught those things. Now, did Jesus teach them some of those things of how to use his power? Absolutely, but they didn't ask for it. 
And I think that's fascinating. The only thing they asked for is teach us to pray. I think it's because Jesus had a habit of prayer. And they must have known that prayer was the key to the miraculous. They'd seen Jesus often, it says in scripture, often withdraw to a a quiet place, an isolated place to pray, oftentimes. And they thought to themselves, if Jesus can teach us to pray, then we will be able to see the miraculous in our own lives and minister it to others as well. But we got to understand the link, the first domino to fall to get to the miraculous, to get to the answered prayer. So point number one is this. Let's dive into it. The possibility of prayer. Point number one is private deposits lead to public withdrawals. Private deposits lead to public withdrawals. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain where Jesus often withdrew and he spent time with his heavenly father in times of prayer. They come off the mountain and as they're coming off the mountain, Jesus has been transfigured in in, in front of them. And so we're not going to get into all of that. There's a whole lot of meaning in that as well, but they're coming off the mountain together and they hear a commotion. They hear a bunch of arguing. People are shoving each other. People are angry and his disciples are in the mix. And he comes down and he's like, what, what is going on? This is where we pick up in Mark nine, starting in verse 16 says this, what is all this arguing about? Jesus asked, One of the men in the crowd spoke up and he said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Verse 19, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you. That seems pretty harsh, but Jesus is also, he's talking to his, his disciples. He's talking to, uh, to his boys. If you have a, if you see any sports team, uh, especially of, of men and something doesn't go right, think of how the leader talks to his guys. He's a little blunt. He's a little bit challenging. He steps on their toes a little bit. It's because Jesus, that's, that's how Jesus is. He knows who he's talking to. He says, bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus says, how long has this been happening? Think about that. Does Jesus hit the panic button? Is Jesus impressed by what the evil spirit is doing? Is Jesus um, uh, surprised, concerned about the boy, the boy's health? Hey, let's, let me do something and then I'll ask questions later. No, he simply looks around and says, how long has this been going on? How long has this been happening? And here's where we we pick up here. Jesus, he asked, and the boy's father, he replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. So much we can pull out of this story because I think this is oftentimes our posture when we pray to God. Lord, if you can, if, fingers crossed, if it's your will, and here's Jesus' response. What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Everyone say anything. Anything is possible if a person believes. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And that is probably the most relatable statement in all of scripture. I do believe, 
but help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and enter and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and it left him. The boy appeared dead, appeared to be dead, and a murmur ran through the crowd of people. And as they said, he's dead. Imagine this moment here. People start whispering, like, did Jesus just kill this, kill that boy? Like, what? That really, that didn't go how we thought it was going to go, right? Like, uh, maybe he would have been better if Jesus never showed up, right? It, like, the murmur starts happening. What just happened? But Jesus took him by the hand, and he helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. In other translations, say only by prayer and fasting. Stop here, okay? This is so fascinating, because here's really the big question. He says, this can only come out by prayer and fasting, by prayer. So the big question is this. Did Jesus pray to free the boy from the spirit? Yes and no. He, he didn't stop and say, Heavenly Father, I come before you right now in my name. <laughs> can you move right now and free this, this boy, heal this boy in my name? Amen. Did he do that? No. Did he stop and say, well, I've, ugh, I ate this morning. I actually ate just a little bit ago. So if you got, let me give, give me 24 hours to fast, come back tomorrow, and then we can do it. No. Fascinating. Jesus didn't pray and make sure that he, had, he didn't have any food in his stomach. He didn't pray and take that extra time for 30 minutes to make sure that he could do something. Because in this moment when he responds to his disciples, Jesus wasn't referring to the prayer and fasting in the moment because he didn't do it. Otherwise, he's not doing what he just said to do. He was referring to the prayer and fasting done in private. That's what he does on the mountain. And he came off the mountain, and he was able to move in power. So you see, sometimes we think, well, if I pray the perfect prayer, and if I pray long enough for 30 or 45 minutes, then God will move. Then the evil spirit will leave. Then we will have freedom. Now, there is something to be said of prolonged prayer. Absolutely, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying for this instance, this is what we see. He wasn't talking about prayer and fasting here in the moment. He was referring to what was done in private. And in fact, I have a quote for you here. It says this, when you deposit prayer in private, you can withdraw power in public. When you deposit prayer in private, you can withdraw power in public. This is what Jesus is showing us. He didn't have to pray for 30 minutes to bring freedom to the boy. But if we will spend hours with God in private prayer, we only have to spend minutes with people in public prayer. This is the model of Jesus. This is what he's showing us to do. But I think oftentimes here's what we do. We spend one minute with God in the morning, and then we wonder why we struggle for the remaining hours during the day, and the enemy is attacking us on all sides. We're not praying the way Jesus modeled to pray. Well, Lord, help me have a good day, and, you know, keep us safe and provide all of our needs. Amen. We think one prayer, and God can use a lot in one prayer. That, here my, what the angle we're talking about here. But we, oftentimes we minimize prayer in private, and we expect God to show up big in public. When Jesus said, that's not how this works, and that's what he was showing his disciples. Saying, boys, what have you been doing in private? 
if you will up the prayer and fasting in private, God can move and he can use it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I need my son Gavin to, to give me a hand real quick. Gavin, come on up. Give it up for Gavin as he's coming up here. So Gavin, you can stand, stand right here for me. So he, Gavin has this Nerf gun here. And uh, this Nerf gun has the potential to shoot Nerf bullets. Let's go forward here. I'm going to make sure you're on camera. Uh, he has, has the potential to shoot, right? Don't point at anybody besides me, okay? Um, however, if Gavin tries to shoot this right now, go ahead and cock it and, and shoot. Nothing comes out. Do it again. Nothing's loaded, right? This is what happens in the spiritual realm. Prayer in private is like loading this Nerf gun. But oftentimes we don't spend time for prayer in private, and then we go around and we have the potential to do good for the kingdom of God. But what happens is the, the enemy shows up. If I'm the devil, if I'm the enemy, I show up and I look at Gavin here, and I'm like, you can try to shoot me. Go ahead and try to shoot me again. There's nothing in here. So I can come over here and I can rough this kid up and I can beat him up and I can throw him in the ditch somewhere, right? Because he's got nothing to protect himself with. He hasn't taken the time in private to load his spiritual weapon. So Gavin, go ahead and, and load that thing up there. But if we will take time in private to load those darts, to load the bullets in the spiritual gun, what happens? Now I have the potential that when an opportunity shows up, I have something to shoot. This is what Jesus understood. See, Jesus is coming off the mountain, and now he's got a, a full loaded gun here. Okay, so go ahead and cock it. And if I'm going to come over here and mess, oh, I'm so nervous. Don't hit me in the face. If I'm going to come, here, scoot forward a little bit. If I'm going to come over here and, um, and mess with Gavin, go ahead and shoot me. He's got something to shoot me with. Not just once, but he's loaded up a bunch, right? So go ahead and cock it again. Shoot it again. Keep going. Shoot it again. Shoot it again. So the closer I get to him, the, the worse it feels, right? The more it stings. The farther away I get, go ahead and shoot it again. It doesn't hurt nearly as bad. See, this is what happens in the spiritual realm. If we will take time in private to load our prayer weapon, <laughs> then when I see something that I need to change for the kingdom of God, I am loaded and ready to do something about it. But you see, as Gavin's continued to shoot, he's eventually running out of bullets here. This is what happens as you go throughout your day, every single day. Whether you cast a demon out today or not, you are still giving of yourself. And every day you've got to take time to reload this spiritual gun so when the enemy shows and rears his ugly head at your, at your situation, you have something to respond with. You see what I'm saying? Give it up for Gavin. Gavin, thank you so much for helping me out, Bubba. But here's what happens. We have two big excuses. Two big excuses take place. The first one is this. Well, Pastor Dan, you don't know how busy we are with life, with work, with school, with practice, with our family. I got babies at home. I got all this stuff going on. You don't know how busy we are, Right? Here's what I would respond back to that and have a quote for you. It's right up here. If you're too busy with life to pray, then you're busier than God desires you to be. Amen? <laughs> if you're too busy with life to pray, then you're busier than God desires you to be. If you're too busy with life to do the things of God, to be planted in a local church, to be serving someone else, to be giving to someone else, to be representing Jesus to somebody else, if you're too busy, then you're busier than God's desired you to be. He will not desire you to be busier than you can, so that you can't do anything with him. He wants to walk with you. The excuse number two is this. Well, well, Pastor Dan, that was Jesus, right? It's Mark, not it's Jesus. We're not him. 
And I'm so glad you brought that excuse up, okay? Because we're going to talk about it. This is point number two. Prayer activates authority. Prayer activates authority. Well, Pastor Dan, that was Jesus. And he, yeah, he can cast out. But even his disciples couldn't do it. He can, he can do all that stuff. But we're not him. So good. So glad you brought it up. Prayer activates authority. Let's look at Ephesians 1, verse 20. It says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. So here's what happened. When God raised Jesus from the dead, what did he do? He seated him at his right hand, which is a place of authority. And he says, this is so good, he says he's seated him above principality of might, of power, and dominion. All of those are terms used for ruling authorities in both the visible and the invisible realms. Visible and invisible. The New Testament over and over, it reveals that there is a hierarchy of evil powers who manipulate human behavior to advance satanic strategies. Let me say that again. The New Testament shows us that there is a hierarchy of evil powers who manipulate human behavior to advance satanic strategies. In fact, one of the greatest examples is I believe you could see into the spiritual realm above Washington, D.C. You would see one of the most raging spiritual wars you've ever, any, of any war that you've ever seen in your entire life. Why? Because there's so much at stake. And these invis- in the invisible realms, in the heavenly places, there are these things that are going to war against uh, the kingdom of light and the angels. And they are fighting for certain things. And these principalities, might, power, dominion, what are they doing? They are pushing a satanic agenda. And they're pushing satanic things that will cause people to turn from God and the things of God. But it doesn't stop there. He says, he's seated in a place of authority where above every name that is named. This is so good. If it has a name, Jesus is seated above it. And this is why specific prayer brings specific results. And this is why you must get specific in your prayer. If it has a name, scripture says Jesus is spiritually seated above it in authority. So anxiety has a name. Cancer has a name. Depression has a name. Any specific sickness is why we go to the doctor, right? We believe God can heal bodies, but we still say it's good to go to the doctor. It's good to see what what the report is. It's good. So now we know even more how to pray and walk in wisdom, godly wisdom with our doctors to bring health to our bodies. Get specific. Fear has a name. Anger has a name. Addiction has a, a name. Lust has a name. But here's where it gets good. It gets even better. Ephesians 1, verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the church. Why has he seated him in a place of authority? For us, for you and for me. But how does it benefit us? Let's continue reading. It takes it a step further. Ephesians 2, verse 6. For God raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him. Everybody say, with him. With him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. He raised us from the dead spiritually, and where did he put us in the spiritual realms? With Jesus. So think about it. Common sense shows us exactly where we are in the spiritual realms. You may physically be on this earth, but spiritually you are seated with Christ. Where? In the heavenly places, the invisible realms that we can't see with our natural eyes. We are seated at a place of authority in the heavenly realms with Jesus. In Christ, you have a seat of closeness with God, number one, but you have a seat of authority and dominion over this earth. In fact, here's another quote for you. The seat you have in Christ is a seat of power and authority over the devil and his demons. We just read it. Where's Jesus? 
seated in authority over all principalities, over all powers, over every name that is named. And guess what? He doesn't want to be there by himself. He paid too high of a price to be there by himself. He sees you and he says, I'm going to raise you to spiritual life and I'm going to seat you with me. Why? Because Jesus isn't here physically, but you and me are. We have a job to do for the kingdom of God before, until he returns. Steward it, spread it, share it, represent him well in everything that we do. If Jesus is above those things, because you have Jesus, you are above those things as well. You can be seated above those things. We are seated with Christ, not in our own ability, not because I'm a great Christian, not because I've tried so hard to get my salvation or to earn that seat, only as a free gift from Jesus to you for salvation. How amazing is our God? He doesn't say, I'm going to save you so you can struggle the rest of your life and get your butt kicked by the enemy the rest of your life. That's not what he says. He said, I'm going to save you. I'm going to seat you in authority. And then I'm going to show you through my word how to use it to bring freedom, life, and hope to your life, your family, and the people around you. What a great God that we serve. Because we understand this, private deposits lead to public withdrawals. It's the Nerf gun. And that prayer activates authority. Point number three is this, and I'll wrap up. Prayer is not optional. Because we understand the first two things, we understand prayer is not optional. There's too much at stake. If, if God's word is true, and it is, I'm seated in a place where I have the potential to change the heavenly realms of my life, of my home, of my job, of my city, of my region, of my country. I've been seated in that place. And the more of us that understand that and pray from that perspective, the more we see change. But too many times we don't take our seat of authority we stay down here and we pray from a place of hoping God will do something, if you can, as the Father prayed in Mark 9. Rather than Jesus' response, what do you mean, if? What do you mean? I can and I will. The secret to answer prayer, it's really not difficult, it's prayer. The secret to answered prayer is prayer, that's in agreement with God's word. In fact, I'd say it this way, the greatest hindrance to answered prayer is the lack of prayer. The greatest hindrance to answered prayer is the lack of prayer. In fact, I heard one pastor say this when I thought this was so good. You can put that quote up there. Prayer gives God earthly license for heavenly interference. What does prayer do? It opens the door for God to move. It gives him earthly license for heavenly interference. And let me give you one last story as I wrap up. Several years ago when Leslie and I were leaving our, our, our old job and we were stepping into ministry full time and starting a church and we were just, we had just left an old job. And so we were about two weeks out from this old job. And so I, all, you know, I didn't have any benefits anymore, no health benefits, no nothing like that. We cashed everything in to start church, start leading a church, cashed it all in, okay? Lord, we're all in and we're following you. Two weeks after, I'm driving down a road in Claremore by my parents' house. And as I'm driving, I'm just driving, I'm by myself, thankfully. And I hear this huge explosion inside my truck and loud noise and, and super loud noise, glass everywhere. And I'm like, what, what just happened? And I look over at my windshield and I brought a picture of my windshield, put the windshield up there first. And I realized something has come into my truck. And at first I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, 
sounds bad, but I'm in Claremore. I think there's some old hillbillies, some old boys shooting cars out here. Like that was seriously my first thought. And then I thought this boy don't understand that I shoot back. So that's not going to be good for him. Anyway, that's beside the point. So I'm driving. So I, 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 can't, I can't pull over right then. So about a quarter of a mile down, I pull over when I, there's finally a spot and I get out and there's glass all over me. Thankfully I had my sunglasses on. Otherwise, I mean, it would have been all in my eyes and my face. And I pull over and I just think, what just happened? And I had a bunch of, I had my backpack and stuff in the passenger seat. So I'm like digging around, there's glass everywhere. And I find this lug nut. Go ahead and put that next picture up there. It's a lug nut and a a lug nut stem broke off of somebody's trailer or truck as they were coming towards me and had such velocity that came through my windshield. And so at that point, I'm relieved that I'm not getting shot at. But then I'm also to the point where I think to myself, man, this could have been really bad. And I start looking in my truck and what I realize, I look at the passenger seat and this is where I see the passenger seat headrest. That's the headrest of the passenger seat. If that was two feet over, it would have hit me in the face. When I'm driving 45 mile an hour, it would have killed me. It would have killed me. But here's what happened. Early that morning, as my parents always do, they pray for each of their sons by name. And they spend time in prayer. My dad told me that morning he had a specific burden on his prayer time for his sons. And he spent time in prayer, extra time in prayer, specifically over each of us, uh, us as kids. And he prayed for us. And there is no doubt in my mind that that didn't hit me as we were stepping out in faith to do things for God. We got a target on our back. There's no doubt in my mind that because my parents know the importance of loading up every morning their spiritual gun and doing work for the kingdom. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that I, I would have been seriously injured Again, it would have hit me in the face. I probably would have died. But what was the difference? Prayer. The possibility of prayer. What can change when we take time in private to pray so that when we need it, God can move? Prayer is not an option. It can't be. We're not playing games with prayer. It's not a little lullaby. We've got to teach ourselves and teach our kids to pray with authority because life and death is at stake. And here's why. We'll say, well, Pastor Jim, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do. He's already got a plan and, and his sovereignty and all those things. And I, I, I hear that and I understand that. But you have to understand that God has tied his sovereignty to his word. And this is where people have, there's a disconnect. He's tied his sovereignty to his word. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew 6, 8 says this, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Well, God already knows. He's got it covered. He's going to show up. Have you asked specifically? He knows. He's all knowing. Yes. But what is he wanting to do? Partner with you. He's waiting for you to ask. Why? He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why. Look at James 4, 2. Yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask for it. You don't ask. Is it because God doesn't want it for me? Have I asked? 
John 14, verse 13, you can ask for anything in my name, this is Jesus saying, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You may say, Pastor Dan, I've been asking and I've been asking specifically and I've been speaking it. And here's what I would say to you, keep going, keep going. Because the other lie is this, I asked and God didn't do it. Must not be his will. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta shoot all of these and then reload and shoot again, 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 and reload and shoot again until something changes. Sometimes one shot does the trick as Jesus showed us. But sometimes when there's something big that's rooted in my life, a spiritual thing that I'm trying to overcome, it's gonna take some effort in prayer. And that's where the longevity of prayer comes in. Don't be discouraged because you asked for something that's in agreement with God's word, but it didn't happen immediately. No, pray that it happens immediately, but then continue to pray that it will happen immediately. There's things in our life, last night's life that we've been believing God for, for seven plus years. Haven't seen it yet. Does that keep me from praying every day for it? No. I'm going to keep going until I see, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. You see how prayer is not an option? Prayer is everything. It's life, it's death. The possibility of prayer is endless in alignment with God's word. God's command is that his church would be a house of prayer, that his people would be a people of prayer. Remember, private deposits lead to public withdrawals. You can't shoot any bullets that you haven't first loaded. Prayer activates authority. In Christ, you are seated in a place of authority to do his will and not your own. And finally, prayer is not optional. Prayer gives God earthly license for heavenly interference. So this week, go out and be a prayer warrior. Amen. Let's do some work. Let's pray in private so we can can do some work for the kingdom of God. And this series is gonna be powerful. So make plans to be with us for this entire series. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have given us an avenue to tap into your power. You've given us an avenue to draw close to you, to be in close relationship with you. And God, I thank you that right now we're gonna start turning our perspective on prayer as a church. Lord, we are gonna be a place, abide will be a place, a house of prayer. That Lord, we are passionate about prayer. We're expectant when we pray and we're ready to receive all that you have for us. Lord, in our prayer, we're gonna lift you up and we're gonna do your will and not our own. We're gonna expect great things. We're gonna expect healings. We're gonna expect breakthrough. We're gonna expect you to move as only you can move. We're gonna expect that the impossible is made possible because Lord, we're not gonna put our faith in if you can. Lord, we're gonna say, no, you you said that if we believe, then all things are possible. And so Lord, we put our faith there that as we pray, And I pray, Lord, that as we go throughout this week and we spend time in private prayer, would you fill us up so that as we face things throughout our day, we have something loaded to go to spiritual war and to spiritual battle with. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, do your will this week? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.